And amen, amen. It's good to have you join us for our online service Wednesday night as we continue through the book of Jeremiah. So get your Bibles ready. Jeremiah chapter 30 is where we're going to begin our study here tonight. And we're making our way through this incredible Old Testament book. Um, what a privilege it is for us to be going through these books of the Old Testament. And oftentimes in the church, the Old Testament gets ignored for the most part. And uh, it's a tremendous blessing to do verse-by-verse teaching, going through the books of the Bible, going through the books of Moses, the first five books, then going through the historical books from Joshua all the way through Nehemiah, and then the poetic books that we went through. We went through the book of Job and, and Psalms and Proverbs and uh, those books that we looked at Ecclesiastes, and uh, it was a wonderful, wonderful Song of Solomon, those poetic books. Now we're going through the prophetic books. We went through the book of Isaiah last year um, as uh, we also went through the book of Revelation and now the book of Jeremiah. And keep in mind that uh, oftentimes uh, you will hear the comment that the Old Testament is not really relevant, that it's not beneficial. It was Paul that told Timothy that all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable. So this is profitable for us here today. And even as last week we were in Jeremiah chapter 29, there are those who say, well, that doesn't apply to us. That was for the captives. Listen, all scripture is profitable and we can look at not only the implication and look at it historically, but it's a word for us today that we can be encouraged. So we're gonna continue to look at God's word. We have the privilege of studying his word. Uh, my prayer at Calvary Chapel is this, that we never, never grow dull of hearing the word of God. We need the word of God more than ever today to instruct us and to comfort us in the days in which we are in. So Jeremiah chapter 30 is where we're gonna begin. A couple quick announcements. I wanna remind uh, particularly you parents uh, that have high schoolers that are signed up for the, the high school retreat at the end of the month. There is a meeting, a mandatory meeting after the second service. We're doing uh, outdoor services, uh, in-person services on Sunday, 8.30 and 10.30. We will continue to do that. Bring your chair, bring your water, bring an umbrella. It's, it's middle of summer, it's hot. And we are praying about, and we are looking at next month sometime, about mid-August, of coming back and doing in-person services here. But we're praying about it, and we'd like to get children's ministry going and the nursery growing, but we need wisdom, and we're just praying about it and seeking the Lord. and and uh, all that. So we'll have more information on that as we progress through July. But anyhow, uh, 8.30, 10.30, after the 10.30 service, um, we uh, will have, and we've been keeping services about an hour long. Uh, there will be a meeting. That I think they're going to do it here, Luke, in the sanctuary and uh, with the parents. So we have social distancing. It's a little bit harder up in the youth room to do that. It's not too late to have your kids sign up for the retreat either. So um, the, Luke and Ashley uh, will answer any questions that you might have. They're going to tell you exactly uh, what entails the retreat and um, all the things they have in place 
for the COVID-19, social distancing, if there's even gonna be possibility, all that. Um, they're just gonna fill you in and just be real honest about um, you know, going up there and what it is that they're gonna be doing and answering any questions that you might have. Coming up on Sunday, also don't forget, those of you who signed up for the Vacation Bible School at Home Kids, you can pick those up as well on Sunday mornings, not too late to sign up for them. Uh, they're gonna continue putting those together uh, through the summer, uh, through July and into August, and you can have Vacation Bible School at home, and you can invite other kids. So just let them know how many kids that you want as those will be available. You can email barbarafigs at ccgreeley.com or see her on Sunday, she'll be at that table uh, in the front, and, uh, and she will answer any questions you might have on that. So that's all I have in the way of announcements. The e-bulletin that goes out tells us everything else that's going on. We're slowly getting small groups back together. Uh, the ladies had a prayer time, a men's prayer, uh, at 7 o'clock on Saturdays. That's taken place. And um, most excellent way on Monday nights, that ministry has started back up. So we want to remind you of these things. Grief Share is still doing Zoom, um, and you can join that anytime. So the e-bulletin has all that information. Hopefully you're getting that. If you uh, need help in downloading the Calvary Chapel Greeley app, or the, you know that includes the e-bulletin, or you want to get the e-bulletin, just call us and we'll make sure that uh, we get that to you and, and let you know how you can get all that information. So it's uh, good for you to have. So we're looking forward to tonight's teaching and what God is going to touch us with, with his word. So, Father, we ask that as we read these words, that they can be difficult words, but there's something here for us. And we know that you have a plan and a future for us, just as you told the captives. And I do pray that you would, um, Lord, just help us be attentive and uh, be excited because this was written 2,500 years ago, 2,600 years ago. But Lord, it's for us today. And these things will be fulfilled that are spoken of that have a future fulfillment. And I pray that we would know that your word is true and that excites us. Your word is true not in, only in the prophetic um, scenario that's going to happen, but in the future for us belonging to you as your children. And so, Lord, we can uh, rejoice in that. We can uh, be glad in that. We can be thankful and look up and rejoice because our redemption draws near, even as Jesus said. So we give you this time in the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we enter into chapter 30, chapters 30 through 33 are what is called the book of consolation. You recall that as Jeremiah has been speaking to the house of Judah, the weeping prophet because he's been speaking to them about their disobedience they had turned to to other gods they had uh, listened to the false prophets they were accepting the false messages that the prophets had given to them and a false hope and we know that jeremiah along with the prophets that even came before jeremiah that Isaiah that was on the scene uh, 60 years before Jeremiah, he finished his ministry, uh, he was also prophesying many of the same things that Jeremiah is. And we know that other prophets that we read about in the Old Testament that were there, given the word of the Lord, the Lord said that I had them come to you early, you know, in the morning, uh, day after day, and you refused to listen to them, and you are following after the dictates of your evil heart. 
And as they ignored the warning, Jeremiah is given some very difficult words to them, saying that because of your disobedience and because of your rebellion against Nebuchadnezzar, there's going to be great death, destruction, and devastation. Well, when the captivity began, they would have the choice men of Judah and some others began to be taken off in 605 B.C. as Nebuchadnezzar became the new king of Babylon. And then a second wave in 597 B.C., they were taking the treasuries out of the house of the Lord back to Babylon. There are those, as we saw the last couple of weeks, that were coming along, the false prophets, not only in Jerusalem, but they were in Babylon as well. And they were saying, oh, it's going to end the, the captivity very shortly, just a couple of years. The yoke of Nebuchadnezzar is going to be broken, and uh, he's going to be done in. We also have seen that it was warned to Zedekiah, who was the last king of Judah, uh, before Jerusalem is destroyed, because there was two uh, deportations of the captivity, 605 B.C., five, uh, 597 B.C., that's where Ezekiel was taken off. And we also know that the third time that Nebuchadnezzar comes into Jerusalem was because Zedekiah and Judah had rebelled against him. There were those kings, Ammonites and, and Moab and, and others around Israel that they had banded together, and Jeremiah told them, don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. They thought that if we come together, uh, maybe we can uh, have this coup against Nebuchadnezzar. He'll fall, and, and we'll be delivered. And Jeremiah says, listen, don't do that. If you submit to Nebuchadnezzar, you'll be able to live in the land, and, and the city won't be destroyed, and you won't experience all that devastation and death. Well, they didn't do that. So Jeremiah has been prophesying that indeed it's going to be terrible and, and great destruction is coming to the city. And Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet because he is speaking to a nation that is dying, uh, that's going to die literally, taken off into captivity. Uh, and it, these are very difficult times. And I know that as we look at the things around us today, as we see what's even going on in our own nation, we can weep as well as we see the ungodliness and the lawlessness and, and getting further away as we are declining morally, spiritually, in every way uh, that we are declining, getting further away from the Lord, it seems like. But the Lord's heart breaks, and he wants to save our nation, and we want to be praying, and we want to give the word of the Lord. The hope of our nation is Jesus Christ, the cross, the gospel. And here Jeremiah is saying, listen, as he would write a letter to the captives that were off in a captivity, he would say to them that you need to, uh, you know, live in your houses, plant gardens, have sons and daughters, pray for the peace of Babylon, because you're going to be here for a while. And it's going to be 70 years that you're going to be here. And after 70 years is completed, the Lord says, I will come and visit you. In other words, I got a plan, and you'll come back, and the captivity will, will be over. And that's where you read those historical books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra tells about how Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest come back after the decree of Cyrus, the king of the Medes and the Persians, in 536 B.C., after 70 years. Daniel and Daniel chapter 9, as we made reference to last week, that you recall that, that he was reading Jeremiah. Daniel, who wrote prophecy, amazing prophecy. 
And yet he was one that was a student of prophecy. And he knows that the 70 years are just about over as he mentions Jeremiah. Jeremiah mentions that here in chapter 29 that we saw last week. He knows that they're going to go back to Jerusalem. And, of course, the decree was made in Zerubbabel and Joshua. The two leaders would lead uh, a small remnant, just under 50,000, back to rebuild the temple. And then Nehemiah comes back in 445 B.C., to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. But it's amazing, all these things, the prophetic word coming true when it comes to uh, God's people, Judah. Now, keep in mind that as Isaiah was on the scene, that he was prophesying in about 750 to, uh, you know, his ministry lasted about 50 years. And Manasseh was one that put Isaiah to death and and he was one that sawed him in half is what tradition tells us and the book of hebrews mentions that uh, those in the hall of faith that were sawn in half and isaiah was believed to be one that was killed in that way it wasn't an easy ministry being a prophet in a nation that was rebelling against the lord but we do know that he would minister uh, during the time that the house of israel that is the 10 northern tribes were still existing and then the Assyrians came in and took them away captive and and it would be some of the Assyrians that came in uh, and they lived in the land they married some of the the Jews that were left behind those are the Samaritans we'll talk more about that as we're going through Matthew's gospel as Jesus speaks about the Samaritans they're mentioned in the gospel narratives but it, it is difficult days here and also keep in mind that as Jeremiah is prophesying, just as Isaiah did, that not only did they speak about them coming back, you see, you're going to go off into captivity. You're going to uh, experience this destruction. And Jeremiah, at the end of the book, as we get to chapter 52, the last chapter, he's going to tell us how Jerusalem was destroyed. Um, a terrible, terrible time. Uh, and, and that ends Jeremiah's ministry as he would be taken off into Egypt and there he would die there. But we'll get to that later. Here's the thing. Even though that there are words of difficulty that is given, words of judgment that's going to take place, that we do know that he gives them words of comfort and words of hope. And that letter that was written to them that the Lord says that you're going to be in a land and you are going to be here for a while, so uh, make yourself a home here and uh, take your wives and, and have sons and daughters and that you may not uh, diminish there. Uh, seek the peace of the city and uh, pray uh, for this city and then also don't listen to those false prophets uh, Jeremiah is sent to tell you that 70 years will be completed. Then I will visit you. I got a plan. I'll bring you back. It is interesting when we talk about captivity, there is really three captivities and that took place. Number one, remember in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham, the father of the nation. Abraham was told that your descendants are going to go to Egypt for four generations or 400 years until I deal with the iniquity of the Amorites. And then they're going to come back. So you read in the book of Genesis how it was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 
Jacob and his 12 sons. Joseph ended up in Egypt. He becomes the prime minister of Egypt. And his family comes during the time of famine, 70 of them. They're planted in Egypt, but they would be there for 400 years to where the future pharaohs would put them in slavery. And as they're in slavery, they would grow as a nation to over 2 million people. And then the book of Exodus tells how he would bring them back. And in the book of Joshua, how they would go back into the land. There is the second captivity here, the captivity of Judah. Uh, and that is the captivity of Babylon lasting 70 years. And as we go into chapter 30 here, we're going to see that Jeremiah is speaking of a near fulfillment of them coming back into the land, but also a future fulfillment. You see, also the Bible talks about that, and even Jesus spoke about it in the Olivet Discourse uh, in Luke's gospel, how the time was going to come when they were going to go captive into all the nations after the destruction of Jerusalem. We know that happened, Jerusalem being destroyed, the second temple in 70 A.D. by the Romans. And here's the thing, that, that here is Judah. We know that, that Israel, the ten northern tribes, there was no return from the Assyrians. Uh, they assimilated into that area. Some of them were left behind. Some of them were still in the land. But Judah would come back from that captivity. And then also we know that Jesus said that you will come back to Jerusalem in the uh, times of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. So that's a study for another time. But the Jews have been coming back. And as we read chapter 30 here, we're going to get into it in just a minute, that we're going to see there's future implications that there's going to come a time where we're seeing a partial fulfillment of the Jews coming back into the land. They became a nation. They were absent for 2,000 years. Absolutely incredible. In May 14, 1948, they become a nation again. And as Amos tells us at the end of his book, that once they go back into the land, they're not going to be plucked out. So absolutely amazing. And God has a plan for his people and there's going to be a restoration of Israel and Judah coming together, his people that we're going to be talking about. So chapter 30, there's near fulfillment of the Babylonian captivity coming back, which they would, beginning in 536 B.C., and then the future fulfillment, ultimately when Jesus Christ comes back in the second coming, and then he's going to gather his elect from the four winds of the earth, and then Israel's going to be restored, and Jesus is going to sit upon the throne of David for, you know, a thousand years in the millennium reign. Let's begin to read that in Jeremiah, that is, chapter 30. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus speaks the Lord God of Israel, saying, Write in a book for yourself all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back from captivity my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. So here, as we look at this, you're going to come back from the Babylonian captivity, but we know that this verse has future implications. Notice that he said the house of Israel and the house of Judah. 
And so he's including all of God's people. And as you get to the last verse of chapter 30, you can kind of peek over there in verse 24. The very last portion of the chapter tells us, in the latter days you will consider it. And then chapter 31 talks about the new covenant. So here's the thing that you and I need to remember, that God promises Israel that there's going to be in the latter times, there's going to be a restoration of Israel. Isaiah spoke about it quite extensively. And as you go through Isaiah, there would be near fulfillments. Again, speaking about they would go off into captivity, the Babylonian captivity, and that they would return. And then a future fulfillment that we are yet to see that will take place at the end of the tribulation period. Also know this, that there are those, and even what concerns me is there is a growing uh, belief in what is called replacement theology. And replacement theology says this, that God doesn't have a plan for Israel. They forfeited the promises that we're going to read about in this chapter and in chapters particularly 30 through 33, that they forfeited those promises and the church now has those promises. We replace Israel. Not, to, uh, you know, that we not only replace them, but we are Israel. We're spiritual Israel. And, and the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that God has a plan for the church and he has a plan for Israel. And when Daniel, who's prophesying at the same time that Jeremiah is, he's in Babylon, he, at the end of that 70 years of captivity, when he's reading about 70 years are completed, hey, they're going to go back in the land. Jeremiah is seeking the Lord in Daniel chapter 9. Gabriel shows up, and it's such an incredible chapter. I think it's one of the most incredible chapters in the scripture. And Gabriel says, Daniel, I've come to give you knowledge and understanding concerning your people. Who are Daniel's people? The Jews. And your holy city, which is Jerusalem, and 70 weeks or 70 periods of seven years are going to determine the history uh, of Israel, your people and your holy city. And it, we don't have time to go into it, but you need to understand the outline of Daniel chapter 9, that prophecy, the 70 weeks of Daniel, because if you do not understand that, that outline that is given to us in God's word, then you're going to get confused and you'll be more, uh, you know, just receptive to adopt that false doctrine of replacement theology. 70 weeks, not 69 weeks. 69 weeks have been fulfilled where Messiah is going to be cut off, where they crucified Jesus. And then uh, we know that there's still a seven-year period. A week is seven years in the scriptures. And that's when the Antichrist is going to come on the scene. And the focus is going to be on Israel once again. Listen, Israel is the focal point, is the emphasis of end-time prophecy. Don't forget that. Because even as we're seeing things happening around us now, we can get our eyes off what God is doing in Israel. It's really quite amazing, um, as you see, that God is preparing the people uh, for what he has for them. And, and people have been pouring into Israel. As you read those books, when we go into Ezekiel, 36 and 37, uh, how the land's going to be uh, blossoming again. The ancient cities rebuilt. The desert's going to bloom. 
We're seeing a partial fulfillment of that since 1948 when the Jews began pouring into Israel after the atrocities of what happened in World War II and they were declared a nation. They've been under attack uh, by uh, all those Arab nations around them ever since 1948. God has preserved them. What they have done in that nation is absolutely incredible. And for those of you who have gone with us to Israel, you've seen that. They got a powerful military, the technology, the infrastructure, how they've rebuilt the ancient cities. It's, it's a miracle, the miracle of the Mediterranean, the miracle of the world that has taken place over the last 70 years. And God has preserved them through all odds against them. And we know that God has a plan for them. And it's going to include a very difficult time in the tribulation period. And we're going to see it's called Jacob's trouble here in just a few verses. But God has a plan for the church. And the church is going to be raptured in, uh, before the tribulation period. As 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16, 17, 18 tells us. Paul speaks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Even Jesus spoke about it in John chapter 14. He said, I will come and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you will be also. And we know that I believe that the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation period. Then there's going to be a focus on Israel, the final 70th week of Daniel. So keep that all in mind. And it's amazing what God is doing to prepare, you know, Israel for what is going to happen. Bringing the people back into the land. A partial fulfillment. There will be a full fulfillment when Jesus Christ comes back and restores the nation. But I don't know if you know, because we are watching all the news around us and with the COVID-19 and the shutdowns and, and the riots and the protesting and all of this, you know, we've been so focused on what's happening here. Um, and we can begin to think, Lord, are, are you working? He is working. Because what is happening is this, that, um, that as travel was restricted and, and you couldn't travel internationally, pretty much it's restricted even today, uh, I think I believe that the last I read that pretty much all of Europe has closed off any uh, travel going into Europe. But Israel has also closed off uh, travel as well. When we went last November, uh, a group of us, Israel was crowded. Jerusalem was packed with tourists, um, people pouring in to see the, the Holy Lands, to see Israel. And, and we were there, and it was absolutely incredible to see how many people were pouring into Israel. And, and now that that has stopped, they don't allow tourists to come in. But what has happened is that same flight that we took, a United flight from Newark to Tel Aviv, two airlines have been flying out of the United States to Israel. And that is El Al, the Israeli airline, and then that United flight from New Jersey. And what I am being told is, is that the flights from Israel to the United States are pretty much empty, but from the United States to Israel, they are full. They're not full of tourists, they're full of Jews. And see, they're welcoming the Jews. If you're Jewish and you go to Israel, you become a citizen. So they have said to upwards of 250,000 people have packed their bags. They're, because of the uncertainty in the United States and what's going on in the, the cities of New York and, and what's happening in, in the inner cities and, and to our nation, they're saying, we have a future in Israel. They're packing their bags, and they are going staying with family, staying with friends, 
250,000 immigrants have poured into Israel, not only from the United States, but from Australia and all over the world. And it's amazing, isn't it? God's bringing them back because he has a plan for them. And you cannot look at what God has done in Israel and what he is doing in Israel and these promises and say that the church is Israel. No way. And it's just a coincidence that they're back in the land. It's amazing. It's unfolding right before our eyes. So even as Jesus said, as you see these things, look up and rejoice for your redemption draws near. So they're going to come back. This is a future time. Chapter 30, the end of it tells us, consider this in the latter times. And then as we read in verse 4, that now these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. For thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear and not of peace. Ask now and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor and all faces turn pale? Alas, for the day is great, so that none is like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. And so Judah would go through great trouble when Babylon came and assaulted Judah and Jerusalem. But this here speaks of the tribulation period, that final seven-year period, right prior to the second coming of Jesus Christ, more formally known as Daniel's 70th week. And Israel um, and, Jake and Judah, both mentioned here, are going to go through this time that's called Jacob's Trouble. Now, as we went through the book of Revelation last year, we see that Daniel's 70th week, or the tribulation period, given to us in details in chapter 6 through 19 of the book of Revelation. It's a seven-year period, the 70th week or seven-year period uh, that God's focusing on Israel. A lot of things are taking place. It's the rise of the Antichrist. That's where it begins. He makes a covenant with Israel for uh, a week, seven years. That's going to enable them to rebuild the temple. And, and we're seeing all everything that's taking place is leading to that. There's stage-setting events that we don't have time to go into and talk about. But it's absolutely happening right before our very eyes. And we know that as uh, that seven-year period is going to be a very difficult time, not only for Israel, they're the focal point. Remember, they're the emphasis of end-time prophecy, and particularly Jerusalem. But we also know it's going to be tribulation for the whole world. In the last three and a half years, after what is called the abomination of desolation that is spoken of Daniel the prophet, that Jesus mentioned in Matthew chapter 24 that there's going to be tribulations such as the world has never seen or ever will see again. It is at that time that is called Jacob's trouble. And in that time, the Jews are going to reject uh, the command of the Antichrist to worship him. As 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, they, Paul writes that the Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of perdition, will go into the temple. He will proclaim himself as God to be worshiped as God in the temple of God. And he will bring great delusion. He's going to deceive many with lying signs and wonders. And the whole world is going to turn and begin to worship him according to Revelation chapter 13. But chapter 12 tells us how the Jews are going to have to flee a remnant of them to the rock city of Petra because he's going to persecute the Jews very, very heavily and also the tribulation saints that are going through the tribulation that get saved during that time. And, of course, we know that from Revelation chapter 7. So this speaks of a time of great, great 
catastrophe of great tribulation and um, at that time of Jacob's trouble that's going to take place. And we also continue reading in verse 8, For it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord, that I will break his yoke from your neck and will burst your bonds. Foreigners shall no more enslave them, but they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Interesting. David has been dead some 400 years before this. So David isn't coming back uh, after the Babylonian captivity. Of course not. He, he's already gone home to be with his people. This is speaking of the future time. So the scripture is indicating to us that Jesus is going to sit upon the throne of David. David is, is he's going to rule over Jerusalem. He's going, you know, there's still going to be governments and nations, and Israel is going to be the, the preeminent nation, and David's going to be a part of that. And David, their king, whom I will raise up for them, will be um, under, of course, the submission of the Messiah. We're going to come back and rule and reign with him. He's going to rule the nations with a rod of iron, according to Psalm chapter 2. But all this is going to take place in what is called uh, the, the millennium reign of Jesus Christ, after God breaks the yoke of the Antichrist and he establishes his kingdom. Now remember, as he says, that it will break his yoke from your neck and will burst your bonds. Remember that is in chapter 27 that Jeremiah had that graphic uh, illustration. He had a yoke on him and bonds, and he said, this is what's going to happen. Um, and, and you're going to be under the yoke of, of Nebuchadnezzar because of your rebellion. It was in the curses and the blessings in the book of Deuteronomy that if you rebel against the Lord, what's going to happen is there's going to be a yoke of iron that's going to be on you, and it's going to be heavy, and it's going to do you in, and it's going to wipe you out. So all of us got a decision to make. Are you going to yoke yourself with the world or are you going to yoke yourself with Jesus Christ? Because Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We will see that in Matthew's gospel very soon as he cries out to the multitudes on, on the hillside there. Come learn in me, and you'll find rest for your souls, for I am gentle and humble, and my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Are you burdened down because you're living after the world or you're trying to do your own thing? Because here's the thing. When we look at the history of Israel, we can learn. These things are written for us, as Paul writes in the New Testament, for our admonition so that we can learn. And as you look at their history, much of their history was in bondage and under the yoke of, of you know, somebody or uh, whatever was taking place. They went through difficult times because of their rebellion against the Lord. You have the days of the judges. You know, 40 years, first of all, out in the wilderness. They were out in the wilderness 40 years because of their continued disobedience and unbelief. And so the Lord said, you're going to do all these laps around Mount Sinai. And the wilderness out there became the largest graveyard in the history of the world as that generation died out there. Book of Joshua, book of victory. They come in, they take the land, but then the book of Judges, a, a generation after Joshua, that we see that uh, they forgot the Lord in, in Judges chapter 2 and the works of the Lord. And for 400 years that they were in bondage because of their disobedience. Then finally, you know, they, they turn away from their idols. Uh, Saul becomes the king for a short time. Then David He's the king, the greatest king that Israel had, had a heart after God. 
and he's defeating his enemies. And it's during the reign of David, 40 years, the reign of Solomon, that's only 80 years, that they experienced peace and prosperity and, and had their greatest power. But then after Solomon uh, dies, we know that his son Rehoboam, the nation split, and the house of Israel was given over to idol worship, and then the house of Judah didn't do a whole lot better. You've been under the yoke of, of disobedience in the world and the dictates of your evil heart, and it's hard and it's heavy. And the world's going to be under the yoke of the Antichrist in the tribulation period. We want to yoke ourselves with Jesus. We want to yoke ourselves with him because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And here he's saying, I'll break his yoke, the Antichrist. And as we continue in, in verse 10, Therefore do not fear, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord. Do not be dismayed, O Israel, for behold, I will save you from afar and your seed from the land of their captivity. I'm going to bring you back um, into the land. And um, don't fear. Don't be dismayed. I will save you from afar. And we know that even today, since they've come back into the land, that the enemies of Israel all around her have tried to destroy her, and God has preserved her, and God has worked. Jacob shall return, verse 10 goes on to say, have rest and be quiet, and no man shall make him afraid. And I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I will make a full end of all nations where I have scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you, but I will correct you in justice, and I will not let you go altogether unpunished. So he talks about a time when they will return, they'll have rest and quiet. Even now, they don't have rest and quiet. They're constantly on guard against those who want to attack them. Lebanon with Hezbollah up north, you got... You got Iran that wants to destroy Israel. They said we want to wipe them out trying to build a nuclear bomb so they can, you know, uh, destroy Israel. Uh, Syria, that border. Uh, we know that there's a future war, Ezekiel 38, that is yet future where they will come in and try to destroy Israel. All these things that we've talked about in our prophecies updates, we're seeing the stage being set for those things. And we will see that God will protect them and God will bring them finally to a place when Jesus Christ comes back and their eyes are opened up. And as Paul writes in Romans chapter 11, uh, God still has a plan for Israel. He's not through with them. Has God forsaken his people, forgotten about them? He, Paul says, certainly not, no way. And in that day, when their eyes are open, that we know that even as uh, Zechariah talks about it, when they see the one whom they pierce, and they will say, where did you get those wounds? And he will reply that I got them in the house of my friends. And their eyes will be open. And, and Jesus even said, in that day when he wept over Jerusalem, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And we know at that time that all of Israel will be saved, Romans chapter 11. All that is given to us very clearly in the scripture. That's when they'll have rest and that's when they'll be quiet. But he says to them that I've chastened you. You're not going to go unpunished. I will correct you in justice. So here, because of their full-blown full idol worship, you're going to go off into captivity. When they came back, they never plunged deep into idol worship like that ever again. And they had problems when they came back, and they have had problems in their history. Blindness has come in part to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has been completed. Uh, I believe that's the time of the rapture of the church. Of course they have. But the thing is, is that he corrected them during this time that he would bring them back, 
They didn't have rest when they came back. So it's not speaking of that time because their enemies were coming against them even when Nehemiah came back to build the wall. You know, you read about Tobiah and Sambalot and the enemies discouraging them and all of this. They will have rest when Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, comes back. But here's the thing for you and I as we make application for us, that he brings correction to us and he will chasten us. And he does it because of his love for us. And he never never withdraw his love from his people here. And he declares his love for them. And he declares his love for you and for me. But as a loving father, even as Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, declares he chastens those whom he loves, those who are his sons and daughters, because he wants us to grow in him. He doesn't want us to go down that road to where it's going to harm us and hurt us he doesn't want to raise spoiled children. Just as moms and dads and we raise our children up, don't we? We discipline them. We have to. And, and that discipline uh, is something that is necessary. So our children grow up to know what is right and what is wrong. And so they grow up to be responsible and, and begin to mature and be perfected. And here he says that you're going to do it. And um, I'm going to uh, not make a complete interview but will correct you in justice and will not let you go altogether unpunished. Verse 12, for thus says the Lord, your affliction is incurable, your wound is severe. There's no one to plead your cause that you may be bound up. You have no healing medicines. All your lovers have forgotten you. Verse 14, they do not seek you. For I have wounded you with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one, for the multitude of your iniquities, because your sins have increased. Why do you cry about your affliction? Your sorrow is incurable because of the multitude of your iniquities, because your sins have increased. I have done these things to you. You've gotten so bad. Israel's sin was great. And he says that all your lovers have forgotten you. They do not seek you. Who were the lovers? Was it the idols? You see, Jesus, uh, the Lord has used the analogy that you guys have committed spiritual adultery. You've gone after other lovers, that is, these idols. It could be a reference to that. Those idols didn't help them, not once. It could be speaking of the other nations that were banding with Israel, and let's overthrow the, the yoke uh, of Nebuchadnezzar. They weren't any help as well. Your lovers have forgotten you. They, they do not seek you. One of the things that we see in the latter days when it comes to even with Ezekiel 38, we don't know if that's going to happen in the tribulation period or it could happen before the tribulation period. It could be the next major war in the Middle East. But one of the things that we see very, very clearly is that Israel is going to find herself alone. And the United States, I believe one of the reasons that we have been blessed, and particularly over the last few years, is because we have been a friend of Israel. And, and whether you like our president, president or not, he has done things that has blessed Israel, and we've been blessed as a result of it. He has made Jerusalem the capital. He recognized the Golan Heights as belonging to Israel. And, and so uh, that promise, that declaration made in Genesis chapter 12, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you, is still true today. But what we will see is that Jerusalem will be a couple trembling to all the nations, that's all the nations. Israel will find herself alone. Even in Ezekiel 38, no one will come along to help her, not even the United States. 
Now, why is that? Because we're such a strong ally with Israel. I don't know. Could it be a change in administration? Because if there's a ch change in administration, that, that uh, support of Israel could very well go away. Could it be because the United States is in such upheaval, which we are on the verge of, that we can't even help Israel? Could it be, I pray it's this, that the rapture happens, that millions of people in the United States are gone, that this nation just is, you know, we're a superpower, but we are diminishing in that, that we never really recover as a nation, or ungodliness going to spread. I don't know, but Israel is going to find herself alone, and God wants that because they need to see that we can't just rely on the United States, we can't rely on any allies, and they're going to see, their eyes are going to be opened, that our only help is you, Lord. You know, I want to say this, that one of the things that I have heard from people is, is that during this, this pandemic, during the last four months, that we can feel isolated, we feel alone. We look at what's all going around, you know, our nation, all the things, the upheaval, the uh, lawlessness, the, the, all the things that are taking place, and we as a Christian can feel alone. And that's not a good feeling. But I want to remind you of something, that you're not alone, first of all, but second of all, that the Lord wants us to look to him. Just as Israel, as we make application here, they're going to find themselves alone and they're going to realize that God is their help, that, that they will see that I am the Lord, as Ezekiel declares at the end of that battle. That their eyes are going to be opened up as, as Zechariah chapter 14 talks about the cities going under. Amos talks about they'll, they'll have a fast, they'll blow the trumpet, and they'll cry out to the Lord at that time. That you're our help, no other nation, no one else is there to help us. And sometimes in our isolation, listen, the Lord wants us to see that he is the one that is there and is our help that he hasn't forsaken us or left us, that he's our wonderful counselor, he's our comfort, he's our strength, he's everything that we need. And that's a good thing. So here he, he'll work, and, and as we read in verse 16, therefore all of you who devour you shall be devoured. All your adversaries, every one of them, shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall become plunder. And all who prey upon you, I will make a prey. For I will restore health to you and heal you of your wounds, says the Lord, because they called you an outcast, saying, This is Zion. No one seeks her. So Israel's um, condition seemed helpless, but God is going to deal with those who plundered Israel. He dealt with Babylon. He's going to deal with those nations in the tribulation period. In verse 18, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring back the captivity of Jacob's tents, and have mercy on his dwelling places. The city shall be built upon its own mound. That's happening even now. The ruins is what it's speaking of, uh, that you have you know, a tell at uh, one city, the ancient city, and they built a modern city around it. The palace shall remain according to its own plan, and then out of them shall proceed thanksgiving. And the voice of those who make merry, I will multiply them, and they shall not diminish. I also shall glorify them, and they shall not be small. Verse 20, their children also shall be as before, and their congregation shall be established before me. And I will punish all who oppress them. Their nobles shall be from among them, and their governor shall come from their midst. Then I will cause him to draw near 
and he shall approach me. For who is this who pledged his heart to approach me, says the Lord? You shall be my people, and I will be your God. That is a promise. Keep in mind this. You know, I, I think about what Isaiah wrote early in his ministry, that he said that it shall come to pass in the latter days. It will come to pass. No doubt about it. He didn't say this is just an allegory or spiritualizing, that the mountains of the Lord's house shall be established. He shall be exalted above the hills. All the nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways. We shall walk in his paths. For out Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn of war anymore. That is on that ver those two verses, in, in, well, verse 4, that um, is on the, uh, the entrance of the United Nations. And it's not the United Nations that's going to bring peace. It's Jesus Christ that's going to bring peace. In the millennium reign, it shall come to pass. Isaiah says, no doubt. John, write these things down in the book of Revelation that must come to pass shortly. And you shall be my people, and I will be your God. He's talking to Israel here. When their eyes will be opened up, and they will realize that Jesus is, is their Mashiach. And behold, the whirlwind of the Lord goes forth with fury, a continuing whirlwind, and will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not return until he has done it, and until he has performed the intents of his heart. This is going to happen. It's for sure. It will come to pass. In the latter days, you shall consider it. And so we see that God's kingdom will be established and Israel will be restored just as the scripture says. So, Father, we thank you for this word. And we thank you for the incredible prophecies given to us that we know that are going to come to pass. And you have a future and a hope for us as, as your people. So, Father, I just want to pray. I want to pray for those who are listening, maybe have felt isolated. Maybe they felt alone, but they're not alone because you are with us and you're still working and you have a plan and a future for the church, for our families, for us individually. And Lord, you are bringing us to the point where we need to realize that it is you that is our hope, that is you that is our rest, that is you that we are to yoke to. You're everything we need, strength and comfort and provision. And sometimes we rely on, on those things and we kind of leave you out of looking to you and asking for help, trusting in you and resting in your promises. So Lord, if there's any chastening that's going on or work that you're doing, bring us to you because your love remains. We are your children. You love us and you want to bring us to that place of perfection and trusting in you and relying on you, and being yoked with you. So I thank you, Lord, that as we read these things, it's absolutely incredible that we are living in unique days. And Lord, we do pray for our nation that there's a turning back to you because that is our hope. Lord, that the gospel would go forth. You're still working. Your spirit is still convicting. People are still coming to Christ, but Lord, may we be salt and light. 
And Lord, knowing that as we see these things begin to come to pass, we can look up and rejoice for our redemption draws near and to not lose hope. So Lord, bless everyone here. Pray you keep us healthy. Keep us safe, Lord. We thank you for your word given to us. May we take these things, ponder them in our hearts, Lord. And Lord, stand on your promises. Be refreshed and renewed. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. Hey, God bless you. Hope to see you on Sunday as we have 8.30 and 10.30 out in the backyard. We do have limited space and seating, and it's, you know, plenty of seats that uh, if you don't want to sit out in the sun, 8.30 and 10.30 in the sanctuary, also in the coffee shop where you can see the service and hear the service on the screen. So we'd love to see you come out. Love to see you join us as we're going to be in Matthew's Gospel, and uh, we're going to be looking at some... You know, just incredible portion of scripture that will really lift our spirits and our hearts uh, as we look at the ministry of Jesus. So God bless you. Have a good evening. Hope to see you on Sunday.